<laughs> oh yeah, there's there's gay, and then there's this movie. Let's just say that. Um, God, hey everybody, well, welcome to Cult Cinema Catacombs. Uh, this is our Pride Month episode. Uh, it is. This is June, and uh, we we, God, we're going to look at the um ironically titled can't stop the music you know roy i just uh i just got a new iphone 12 Mm -hmm. yesterday and the first video that i watch on my new iphone 12 is the trailer for can't stop the music so thanks for that (laughs) i'll never forget I'll never forget the beautiful, glorious resolution on the Can't Stop the Music trailer on my iPhone 12. Is I kept thinking, is there something wrong with my new iPhone 12? No, no, that's just Bruce Jenner's treasure trail. That's all that is. Wow. So, so are you from? Are you? Have, well, have you ever seen Can't Stop the Music? I was telling you earlier. I think maybe I saw a long time ago. I saw it. Like, like on on like regular like like on on you know cable at some point in my distant youth but mm-hmm. not i have never watched it i don't think with intention <laughs> so. um, for some for someone to act i mean i i will admit i own this on blu-ray from shot factory but you have to really be in a mood to watch it intentionally <laughs> because it's bad. I mean, this movie's bad, but it's one of those films that is just so shockingly bad that you have to sit and watch for the whole thing because you just can't believe that there was a studio out there that thought this was a really good idea. Hey, looks like Gutenberg's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this cast first. Um, so we have Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. By the way, I've coined a term that Roy and I are going to use from now on for Steve Gutenberg because I don't know if we can name – I can't personally name a role that Steve Gutenberg has ever performed. Movies, yes. There are bad movies that Steve Gutenberg has been in. This is one of them. Let's establish that. But Steve Gutenberg as a person in a role, I can't think of what I didn't like. So, so Roy and I are uh, now Steve Gutenhags, so just know that. I'm having shirts made up. I am literally having shirts made up. I'm going to build this into existence, Roy. (laughs) So we have Steve Gutenberg as Jack Morrell, who is a DJ uh, in the uh, in the village district of New York. We have uh, Valerie Perrine as Samantha, who is a socialite who chose to live in the village and has a bunch of gay, not gay friends in the village. And her and Jack decide to come up with the idea of creating the ultimate singing group, the Village People. And so the Village People play themselves. Okay, in this so movie. this is the imaginary origin story. Yes. This this is the Avengers of the Village People. Yes. Oh shit! Because I have yes. seen it. I have seen this. <laughs> Because this movie, I will tell you, the way that the way that the village people's created in this movie is not how they were created in real life at all. We won't we won't go into how they were created. Google it. That's all I'll say. But this is so Hollywood esque, especially since part of the creation of the village people <laughs> involves then Bruce Jenner, um, who I love the fact that he plays a character who's named after one of the redneck comedians from the Redneck Comedy Tour. Ron White. <laughs> and white he is, my friend. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I, I will say this. Looking back at this movie, while I can't stand Caitlyn Jenner at all, I think she represents everything that you should not do in the LGBTQ community. But at the same time, when you look at this movie, you can kind of get the hints to where you could tell that she was not being her true self. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't this is one of those where people like if people were shocked during the transition or people were, uh, you know, affronted during the during during the point at which, you know, she came out and 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 made public who she who she was the point at the movie. Yeah. Point at the trailer. That's all you have to do is be like, are you shocked? 
Are you shocked? Are you, were you the people that were shocked when Freddie Mercury yeah, came out? Is I, that... I, mean, I hate to be that way because it's the George Michael effect where, you know, you go yeah. back and you're like, you could tell that she was not being her authentic self. You could tell that she was a woman trapped in the man's body. You could tell that for sure. Elton John, you say? Like, <laughs> Liberace. Uh, no. Um, here are some other great points about Can't Stop the Music. Uh, this movie was directed by Nancy Walker. For for those who think that name sounds familiar, she played Rhoda's mom on Rhoda. <laughs> uh, yes. She also was the bounty woman in the 70s and the early 80s. Bounty's the quicker picker-upper. Uh, she's also she been... Be like Lorenzo Lamas in... Uh... <laughs> I want that action figure. Where's my renegade action figure three-pack? I want to, can we talk about Lorenzo Lamas for the next hour? I'm into that. Got <laughs> <laughs> a feather uh, earring, dude. You don't even know. This was the only movie, theatrical movie, she ever directed. She directed some episodes of Rhoda and the Mary Tyler Moore Show and of Alice, and she directed a television movie called Magic Night, but this was the only theatrical film uh, that she ever directed. So this was her directed by William Shatner moment, basically. Well, would you? Would you direct another movie after this? <laughs> no. Also, I didn't realize this movie got a theatrical release. Okay, that's another interesting tidbit. Yes, it did get a theatrical release. However, it was not shown in a lot of theaters, and in some cases, it was the A-reel to a double feature for Xanadu. Whoa. Xanadu was the B-reel to this movie. They both came out in 1980, and it was just basically sold as a package, basically. (laughs) That is quite the package. Yeah, but it gets better. Um, The role that Valerie Perrine, Mrs. Tressmacher, plays in the role Samantha was originally offered to Olivia Newton-John, but she turned it down to make Xanadu. Well, we know now that was a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) The irony is, I mean, both films were declared. Actually, both films are the reason why the Razzie Awards were invented. Um, But the irony is, is that even though Xanadu is considered one of the worst films ever made, it's went on to get have such a huge cult following, not just in the LGBTQ community, but just in general. I mean, hell, there was a hit Broadway show based on Xanadu and it just I mean, became that big and it with the soundtrack was huge but yeah, it's Xanadu you say Xanadu and immediately you know yeah like it there's a picture in your brain like of Xanadu you know yeah. say can't stop the music to somebody like, <laughs> See what huh? they do. the only people who would really know can't stop the music is honestly the first people who would probably light up when you mention it is gay men over 50 sure sure you know but it's it's just when I when I read that I cracked up and I'm like, wow, yeah. In the long run, she chose the better role. She really did. <laughs> it was a tough choice, I'm sure. <laughs> at that time, looking at those two scripts had to be a tough choice. Mm-hmm. But this movie did um, did get public public publicity behind it for being the first multi-million dollar musical to be directed by a woman in Hollywood. And apparently Nancy Walker got a three-picture contract and this was the first film, but because this film tanked as much as it did, her contract was destroyed. So, got that going on. (laughs) Got that going for her. (laughs) Um, The first draft of the script was written by Bruce Valanche. Whoa, now we're in it. All right. Uh-huh. You know how uh, I feel about Bruce Valanche. <laughs> I'm here for Bruce Valanche but, all day. But, but then the finalized script was written by Alan Carr, yeah. who gave us Grease. So it's like yeah. I mean, he gave us a hit musical with Grease. And he was trying so hard to duplicate it with Can't Stop the Music. And Can't Stop the Music possibly could have been a hit. Because there's another disco movie that came out prior to Can't Stop the Music, Thank God It's Friday, which is on the same level of cheesy and tacky as Can't Stop the Music. 
and it was the it was the feature movie debut of Donna Summers. Okay. And it, and it, and it features Jeff Goldblum as this sleazy, lethargic um, disco owner who's trying to get a married woman to sleep with him. When did the Apple come out in comparison? 1980 also. Okay, so the Apple came out then too. Mm-hmm. In 1980, the disco scene was dying. This was, this was the era of dis- the disco is dead incident at Wrigley Field. Okay. At the and the whole disco is dead movement really caught on. And the thing with Xanadu and Can't Stop the Music was these two films were touted of being the first big giant movie of the eighties. The films that are going to kick off the eighties and also kick off the sound of the eighties when all it was was just retread of disco music. And so because disco music was just dying at that point, no one was interested in seeing a movie that was a pseudo biopic about something that's synonymous with disco, the village people. Okay. So we know that ABBA was globally popular, Mm -hmm. right? Like they were, they were disco juggernauts, like for real, like, Disco juggernauts. You know, the Apple has what the Apple has going for it. <laughs> Them dots and whatever else loved it. Can't complain. Were the village people popular enough to pull this off? I don't think so, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, they had they had hit songs. They were, you know, hot, but not as hot as abba was i mean abba yeah abba is known for their disco music but they also kind of transcended disco same thing with donna summer you know donna summer was hot she transcended disco though um in fact you know she helped get an academy award for thank god it's friday for the song last dance so i i think the idea of this came too late it probably would have worked if it came out in the 70s okay a little earlier yeah, it probably it probably could have worked, but in this case, nah, no, it didn't work. In fact, the only person who didn't have uh, the only member of the Village People who did not have any hope for this movie, but basically he was ignored, was David Hodo, who's the construction worker of the band, who actually has a, a musical solo in this movie, which he, I I can't wait for your reaction to. Um, he <laughs> threw the, he threw the script across the room and said, "This is a piece of garbage." He likened it to one of the Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney blackface pictures that they used to make. I can but, understand that. Like, you know. But no one listened to him. As a rights activist, this movie's probably pretty insulting to be in. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this after watching the trailer, right? This is the um, the gayest OSHA violation video I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Like, construction workers are supposed to climb on that. Also, again, you know, if you are if you are straight out there watching this, even the trailer, and once, you know, once the village people all come out and everything, you know, everything comes to light and you, you realize, and you don't realize it from the trailer, you should be, you should be run out of town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the entire trailer is the village people pushing women away. Like, that's the entire trailer. And yeah. I'm like, watch it. Like, yeah, right. Of course it is. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you people? <laughs> I love it, by the way. I love the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Some other little trivia bits about this movie. Like I said, this movie in Xanadu was the movies that inspired the Razzie Awards. This was actually the first movie to ever win the Razzie Award for Worst Picture Ever Made. Uh, it was nominated in every inaugural category for the Golden Raspberry Awards, except for Worst Supporting Actor. The film this one was uh huh okay. The film at the time was declared the most expensive movie musical ever made. It cost twenty million dollars. Why? Well, the the milkshake musical number alone, <laughs> I think. Um, um, Alan Carr wanted to basically make a Busby Berkeley musical with disco, and that's sure. that's what we came up with with this. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner's role in this movie, um. Originally, he wasn't going to play this role. He was originally chosen to play the role that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got for Airplane. And so he was going to be in that role. 
but I vaguely remember that. Like he was up for that. Yeah. But instead, he decided to uh, choose this for his acting debut. Okay. Um. Oh God, what else uh, can I say about this film? Um. Oh, one last little interesting tidbit about it. There was a tie-in with Baskin Robbins. Okay. Okay. That's when the movie was being released in the theaters. Baskin Robbins' Flavor of the Month tie-in was called "Can't Stop the Nuts." No. Yes. I I wish that I could go back in time (laughs) and have some can't stop the nuts. I really do. There's nothing I want more than that. Actually, I I, I lied. I have one more interesting tidbit about this movie. Keep it coming. The film not only shot itself in the head – by waiting until 1980 to be released. But the studio was so convinced this film was going to be huge that they released this movie up against another high-profile project oh, no. the same weekend. They made that, a mistake. What, they, yep. what was it? The high-profile project they released this film up against was the Blues Brothers. Holy shit. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And we all know in history which of the two films won. Oh, that's yeah, that's rough. I the the Blues Brothers is 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 probably one of I would say either two or three Saturday Night Live based movies that actually succeeded in its transition from Saturday Night Live to the big screen oh, and sure. is one of the most beloved films of all time. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I just to be released up against a movie like that with everything going against it. Yeah, the studio made a bad choice, (laughs) very bad choice. I mean, you ask how that stuff happens, right? Because, you know, Hollywood is Hollywood and Hollywood talks. Mm -hmm. They have screenings. They have, you know, they have screenings. They have test markets. they, They run it. They talk. Uh, how delusional and locked into like confirmation bias are you that you're getting these results back from these from you know the Blues Brothers movie that I'm guessing maybe were secret but nothing is that secret you know um, and you're like yeah we're gonna push forward with this we think yeah. we got something here the world's mm-hmm. demanding w- what we have the world's demanding the milkshake song basically the world's demanding a super shiny um. Military uniform, <laughs> tearaway military uniform to go up against Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi. Yeah. So, with that said, are are you ready to dive into this disco? Yeah, I'm really mess? excited. I'm really <laughs> excited. It's Pride Month. I want this in my life. This is probably the gayest film we've done since Myra Breckenridge, and that's saying a lot. Now that I think about Myra it, yeah, because we did. I remember we did Maya Breckenridge and we did the Gay Deceivers. I think this one's probably the gayest of the three. Okay, all right. So, yeah, we picked a doozy for this. So, so we will be right back, folks, with our thoughts of "Can't Stop the Music," no matter how hard we try. I don't like this uh, reverse conversion therapy you're putting me through. <laughs> It's the musical extravaganza that launches the 80s. It's Alan Carr's Can't Stop the Music. You can't stop the music. Once you see it, you'll know why you can't stop the glamour. Do the shake. Stop the excitement. You can't stop the dancing. Obey. 
who can't stop the laughter. Magic night, magic's in the music, it's a magic night. We all need to use it, we can have a good time and enjoy all the magical vibes on this day. Magic night, good friends all around you, it's a magic night. Magic but most of all, you can't stop the music. You can't stop the music. Can't stop Nobody the music. Starring Village People. Take the heat from flame. Try to feel the Valerie Perrine. Though you try in vain. It's what she thinks. Bruce Jenner. Can't stop the music. Nobody can stop Steve Gutenberg. Change the master plan. Take the Paul Sand. Starring Tammy Grimes, June Havoc, Barbara Rush, Out to East Davis, Marilyn Sokol, and a special appearance by the Ritchie family. Once it begins, you can't stop the music. Sounds of the 80s are composed and produced by Chuck Corelli. An EMI film. Oh, the game. <laughs> oh, the... I, I found it not gay enough. <laughs> oh, the gay-manity. I, oh. I think it could have gone further. I'm just saying. <laughs> So so now after rewatching it, do you remember seeing it, or, or was it like watching there were it? Parts, for the first time? It definitely was like watching it for the first time. There were parts that kind of, you know, I was like, I I think I've seen this. I think I've seen this. Uh, one of those scenes was the Danny Boy scene. I seem to remember seeing the Danny Boy scene. Um, uh, I I think the scene in um where they're auditioning for the record exec. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can't dance stands out in my mind as something I think I've seen. Um, but it was basically like watching it for the first time again. <laughs> you got to love a film that uh, in the beginning invites you to listen to the sound of the city. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. The sound of the city. Um, I didn't know if you know this or not, but the sound of the city is Gutenberg's pain being wrapped <laughs> so tightly against his body that it screams in pain. Also, <laughs> that motherfucker, he would have been arrested, all right? He was oh, yeah. in the middle of the road in New York on roller skates for a long time. Mm-hmm. He would well, have that, been whole thing, that whole thing was a commercial for da- for downtown New York City. It really and was. And Lacoste. Yes. Um, it was for Lacoste, and um, I wish he would have kept the Lacoste going throughout the entire movie. That could have made it better for me. <laughs> And then, and then we have uh, the origin story of Miss Tressmacher um, with Valerie Perrine as she's walking around listening to the sounds of the city. Uh, well, they took they, her bra and used it to strap Gutenberg's hog to his leg. So. <laughs> um, Imogene Coca comes out of nowhere and smacks her ass with a loaf of bread. Listen, Imogene Coca was one of the only watchable things, and I loved this movie. Please. <laughs> But Imogene Coca and her predilection for whacking ass with bread is fantastic. It is a it is a, a full character choice. That is, I will say this: there is not a single second of this movie, not a single moment that you will see that is not directly influenced by cocaine. Directly influenced by some form of cocaine. It was like the most random cameo, uh, un, 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 unlisted cameo I've seen in a long time. And it's like only those who really know Imogene Coca's face yeah. would know that that's Imogene Coca behind those sunglasses playing a homeless woman in Greenwich Village smacking people in the ass with a loaf of bread. Which is, again, a straight up fantastic choice. Uh, for a character. 
Like, I'm not being facetious there. Like, if, if you could put a thousand, you could put a million monkeys in front of a million typewriters in a room, and they would never came up with Imogene Coca smacking people in the middle of New York in the 80s with a loaf of French bread. <laughs> now, another element I love is the fact that uh, you, you texted this to me, and I can't unsee it now. <laughs> Uh, that uh, Kate McKinnon traveled back in the past to play the part of uh, Valerie Perrine's former model agent. Yeah. yeah, the ad exec. Yeah, another. So I have a real. I, I want to talk about kind of over an overarching thing I felt about this movie was I felt they were trying to capture the the kind of big. Um, I don't want to say Rodgers and Hammerstein-y because that's not right, but like like musical road picture type feel of like some of the road picture or some of the musicals from like the 40s and the 50s mm-hmm. in yeah, this, yeah. but also mm-hmm. make it super gay and disco. And yes. those two things do not work together. If you're good, I'm not saying that those pictures weren't super gay. They absolutely were, but they weren't intentional. They weren't intentionally that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't shove those two things together. Yeah, and, and the in way fact, you would shove lasagna into the crotch of one. Um, <laughs> oh, Jenner. we're going to talk about Jenner in a moment, definitely. So much lasagna God. in this so, movie. Oh. Just yeah, yeah, Alan Carnage. <laughs> Alan Carr wanted this to be like a musical from the '30s, only with disco music, and I get where he's coming from with that because it definitely had the vibe of a Busby Berkeley. Yeah. Way that it was structured, and you know, they made a couple of jokes about Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland musicals, which it also kind of had that structure of as well. But at the same time, it's just the two ideas; it didn't mesh as well. They they absolutely they didn't not just mesh; they clashed with with each other. Yeah, like you watch something like The Apple or like Xanadu, right? They're making an updated version of the musical. And they're and they're really going out of their way to do that. Mm-hmm. In this, they're trying to rely on old tropes to um, to launch this thing forward. It's no wonder it failed. Again, I want to be clear. I loved every second of this thing. <laughs> every second, every second of it, from from the musical, the imaginary musical montage of uh, whatever it was, "Murder You with My Love." To oh, love you to death, yes. To the Paul Lind Halloween special ending, I loved every second of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was just it, it was so just like it was like random ideas thrown together and a hey, let's put on a musical type film. Except it's hey, we're going to form the village people and we're going to go from one wacky situation to another. Right and now, with, in, with in the, the classic. With a metric ton of lasagna. Yeah, a a shit ton of – no, in a classic movie, there would have been, you know, this is the pinnacle that we're trying to reach. We would have stated that pinnacle at the beginning, right? Or or, Mm -hmm. or during the – during the buildup, we would have said, oh, well, there's a talent contest. You know, it's Purple Rain. There's a talent contest. Or, you know, oh, there's a – you know, we've got to get to the cabin before the – uh, before the blizzard, whatever it is, right? And the whole movie is hijinks getting to that point. In this one, they went one, and then and then that didn't work. So they put another, you know, they kept moving the the goalposts, and it kept getting more ridiculous. The the circumstances that they were able to pull off, what they were able to pull off, kept getting more ridiculous over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, but again, this, this from, is the yeah, then. From yeah. Danny Boy to um, uh, contacts in the lasagna, every second of this movie, loved it. <laughs> and let, let's discuss some certain characters before we get to the the Jenner in the room. Um, first, let's look at Lulu, the oversexed comic <laughs> relief who wanted so badly to get into Felipe's pants and Bruce Jenner's pants. And um, every person that she didn't have a snowball's chance in hell with pants in this entire film. <laughs> and I, it's just, it was so like, oh, it, it was, it was hilarious but cringeworthy at the same time. Um, 
And like you mentioned, when she uh, goes and gets high with Steve Gutenberg, uh, you say that, you know, that's exactly how you imagine Steve Gutenberg would be if he got high. That's <laughs> <laughs> like the truth. So we had her. We did. Uh, we had the agent who, uh, like you said, was uh, Kate McKinnon uh, back from the past. And I mean, it's just like full on gossamer gown giant brimmed hat that went out of style even in 1980 it was just so like obnoxiously over the top um you had the the former broadway musical starlet mom of steve gutenberg who was convinced that her son is a musical genius this this movie had so many people in it yeah so many unnecessary contrivances that needed to happen to make this movie make even as much sense as it did. Because mm-hmm. you had, yeah, you're right. So you have, now you have the record exec, or no, you have the, the ad executive. You mm-hmm. have Steve Gutenberg's mom. You, you have, have the ad exec. You have, um, oh, uh, Jenner's mom, who turns out Jenner's to be a socialite. Mm-hmm. Who Jenner's dad. Happy putting on a concert in San Francisco at the Galleria. That's what I mean. Everything is a contrivance. There's literally no conflict because everything just resolves itself by somebody standing around. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Mom, I don't think you understand. we got to do this for like 2,000 people. Oh, well, I put on one last month for 3,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> Milk! <laughs> And then we have Jenner. So, okay. Again, this was before Caitlin became Caitlin. This was when Caitlin was known to the world as Bruce. You know, and at this time, Jenner was known as the quintessential jock. Yeah, I, he was all, an athlete. Yeah, all of the gold medals that he won and everything – you know, he, he was he was seen as the pinnacle of jock. And, of course, now we know that he was a woman trapped in a man. She was she was a woman trapped in a man's body is, you know, what we know now. However. The way this movie was telegraphing the future <laughs> for Caitlyn Jenner just made me constantly slap my face and go, oh, no, whenever it happened. Uh, especially involving things burning Jenner's crotch. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is the... And I realized that it was comic relief, but watching it now, it definitely seems a little prescient to, mm-hmm. you know, to watch. Um, we also didn't talk about... Well, we'll we're going to talk about Jenner. But there's one I wanted to talk about before Jenner, and that was the weird... A woman that works somewhere that keeps finding people to sing. Oh, the best friend. Yes. Just finding random people to sing. Like, oh, here was a cop. I saw him singing. Uh, Oh, here's this soldier. I I saw him sing. Like, oh, here's this other guy. But she's black and she only finds the black people. They didn't have any black people until she came along and started wrangling the black singers in. Because apparently in the 80, you know, 1980, you needed a reason. Like you couldn't just find these people on their own. Like you needed another black person to to say this is why this is why they're black people in the village people, <laughs> not <laughs> not because they're talented and they can sing, but you know. She went to go find them in between uh, performances of The Sound of Music, and uh, <laughs> right, like it was that was very bizarre to me. Like, that was a very bizarre contrivance. But we can get back to Jenner now, because there's a lot to talk about with Jenner. Yeah, so so, so we have, um, you know, all of the items destroying him in, in the crotch. And then we, we have the moment where they are trying to get into Jenner's pants so the burning of the crotch can go away. And then Jenner is thrown a shawl. Yes. That wraps around his waist to look like some gypsy miniskirt. Yeah, because Gutenberg <laughs> yells, uh, she's, she, I forget what he says, she's sensitive. She's uh, sensitive. Hide to your knees. knees. Yes. 
And then we have um, his comments about, I can't believe you're hanging out with people who are freaks of nature. Can't you hang out with normal people? And I'm like, oh, honey. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, here's the thing about the choices they made for Jenner, okay? He spends 99% of this film in a, in a suit and tie. 99%. Mm-hmm. There is only one scene where he's not, and it is... And I say this with the caveat that um, I'm me, and you can find pictures of me. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Dressed more gaily than I've seen any man dress in my entire life. Oh, where he's wearing the Daisy Dukes and the crop top? Yeah. Yes. And this is me talking. This is Feather Boa Andy throughout the 2000s talking. <laughs> what? Why was that a choice just for that scene? Was it because he was going to the? Was it because he was taking them to the Y to practice? I guess, because, I guess because he was taking them to the YMCA, and back then the YMCA was very cruisy. I, uh, I guess you're right. And then that, that was another thing was when they were discussing the idea of doing the dinner party to introduce the village people at, and 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 charging people before they got to that. They said that they ran into someone who possibly is gay we don't know in some area of town and the the best friend was like oh were you cruising and i'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i was like did you did you just say that yes yeah i mean that's the thing is they did their best it's very it was a very odd movie to watch because unlike you know the gay deceivers or a lot of movies that were okay we're going to make a a, a gay movie like we're mm-hmm. going to make a movie that is gay we're going to wear it on our sleeve this is what it is this movie was a very gay movie that they tried to hide the gay in it and it just you can't like i i, I don't understand why I guess the mass appeal would be the reason, but you know, if they're trying to make this a hit quote unquote, but like that was very dissonant. Like, you know, there were, there were comments like that where you're like, are they, are they disparaging this? Because everybody involved in this movie (laughs) from stem to stern is, is gay. I don't, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand it, but that's okay. So, um, other things to talk about before we get into other elements of the film. I've been actually waiting for this until after we've watched the film. So the role of Steve Gutenberg's mom is uh, played by June Havoc. And as we saw her character in the movie, it was all like, oh, I can't wait to hear your song on Broadway. And, you know, was able to, you know, be able to negotiate all sorts of contracts and everything Here's a little ditty that some people may know, but some people may not know. June Havoc is the other half-sister to Gypsy Rose Lee. Really? So if you've ever seen the musical Gypsy, the girl that's being pushed out there during the, the, the vaudeville days and everything, that's June Havoc. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So here she is now playing this former Broadway star who's basically now a stage mom. So she's come full circle, basically. (laughs) But yeah, out of all of the interesting little tidbits I found out about this movie, that was the one that made me go, really? Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right about that. Uh, So, yeah, there's the connection to Gypsy. Uh, with that. Okay. Um, so let's talk about some of the segments of this movie, starting with I Love You to Death. Oh, okay. Or, or, or as you said, Lacey called it, I, 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 no. Yeah, right. Just, God. The one thing I will say about the village people as we get into these segments and these kind of musical you know, breaks that they had all of their songs go on about 90 seconds too long. Mm-hmm. Just about 90 seconds. You could cut about 90 seconds and the songs would be perfect length. But they go on about 90 seconds too long. 
So, yeah, we had our, you know, big introduction to New York with the, you know, the hear the sound of the city. And then uh, we start actually, no, let before we even get to that, let's go to Samantha. Samantha, the the song that Steve Gutenberg supposedly wrote about the Valerie Perrine character that's playing in the club where we don't know if Felipe is a waiter or dancer or or. Well, that's what Lacey was like, because keep in mind, you know, she's she's I'm I'm a couple years younger than you, Roy, and I, I think or or we're like right at the same age. Um, you know, Lacey's 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So she was like she was watching the 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 saddle saddleback. Is that the name of their yes. club? And she was like, is this a, a gay bar or is this a straight bar? Is this a mixed bar? Are, are they bartenders? Or are they dancers? Are they? And I'm like, oh, honey. <laughs> I was like, this, I could take you some places and show you some things. <laughs> um, but yes, are they dancers? Are they bartenders? They're both. They're, They're both. both. Is it a straight or gay bar? It's a disco bar. Basically, imagine like you're going to Shakey's Pizza, and uh, <laughs> except it's, except it's going to have a bunch of gay waiters mm-hmm. who 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 will be dancing to disco music. And by the way, why did wh- why did Felipe even bother wearing clothes in this movie? I, he was the least dressed of the entire crew, and I'm even realizing this now with looking back at the village people. I'm just like, why did he even bother wearing clothes? He's wearing a loincloth, <laughs> some boots that have bells on it, th- this feather hat that would later on be adopted by all white hipsters everywhere to, as a headdress to wear, and some shield thing on his front. <laughs> and that's it. Oh, and occasionally body glitter. Yes, yeah. And that's the majority of the film. <laughs> yes. The the second time we see him, he has broken in to Perone's uh, apartment to watch TV. Mm-hmm. And he's, again, wearing basically nothing to watch TV in someone else's apartment. Yeah. And also making that weird mouth noise that he does. What is that? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what is that? I'm just like, okay, you go, girl, I guess. Um, I guess, go off, girl boss. I don't know what you're doing, but it uh, works, I guess. Yeah, so we have that. Then we have I Love You to Death, which, you know, they, which, which kills me because they have the balls to give the – construction worker guy a solo in this movie and not just any solo at that yeah. yeah a massive solo song where he is in this basically looks like the steel the the gay steel mill from the Simpsons episode um where Bart's accidentally taken to the the, the gay steel mill by Homer and a bunch of women dressed up in I get like knockoff Halston dresses and, and lots of glitter again. And we're supposed to believe that he wants to have sex with every woman there. Yeah. While actively doing everything in his power to push those women away. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing right there. Like what, what mm-hmm. is happening? So we've got that musical number and then we've got magic night which I, I uh, called Neighbors Calling the Police on Their Neighbors song, because for them to make that much noise in the backyard, I'm like, okay, where, where are the police? You know they're being called right now because of this. <laughs> they have bigger fish to fry, I guess. I don't know. They're from the village, though. So maybe they didn't. Who knows? Who knows? Well, it was definitely a shock to Jenner's system because that was his way of being introduced to everybody after being robbed by an old lady while he was trying to transport a cake from Perrine's sister that we never see in the movie. Uh, <laughs> go fig. Anyway, so then they get the demo and the, and, uh, for the song Liberation, which fails. And, you know, they're, they're still trying to figure out how to get their... Uh, image out there so Perrine's character Samantha decides to go out of retirement to make the milk commercial with the village people which to me is the (laughs) big oh my god moment of the film 
is commercial for milk. Well, you um, yes, yes, it is. You're, but you're also leaving out an entire, a, a very important scene for me, which oh, is. Oh no, the, I'm saving that one for last. Oh, okay, okay. Well, <laughs> and and here's something I picked up on was the record exec wasn't. He wanted. He was trying to get them because he was excited when he walked out. He was playing it like he wasn't, and he wanted to sign them, so he's trying to lowball them. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. So it's not until later that that comes back around. Mm-hmm. You know, when um, what we learn in the movie is is Gutenberg's character is half Jewish on his dad's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weird movie. And they weird. bond. Over, they bond over Kreplock. You know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So we we so we have the milk commercial. A- Andy, please describe the, mil- the the milk commercial to our listeners who haven't seen this thing yet. Um, <laughs> let me tr- let me try. So imagine milk, right, mm-hmm. from a cow, <laughs> and imagine you wanted to have sex with milk. What would that look like? And then you take that image and then you throw it away and then you take the village people and you dress them in all white glitter with a bunch of dancers. (laughs) And then you reshoot it. With that, don't Anderson. forget, don't Go forget right dressing in. up the little rascals to look like the village people. Oh, that yes, of course, <laughs> yes. The opening scene to the the only thing in the commercial that made it a milk commercial. By the way, Valerie Perrine spends the majority of this uh, commercial humping milk, <laughs> um, whereas the beginning of the commercial, she's the mother of seventeen children of all races creeds and colors she's josephine baker with the rainbow children basically so is this her is this her fantasy about milk who knows i have maybe it's lulu's fantasy i don't know i don't know who's (laughs) whose milk fantasy is it is what i want to know <sighs> that's but yeah it's it's uncomfortable it, it it of course the um middle america rejects the commercial because it's too sexy so <laughs> so it's so not ready for sexy milk commercial no dot org. not at all and then it turns out hey we can actually take this to um san francisco which is i'm going of course the village people are going to go make their debut in san francisco where else would they and that's when they get signed to the record deal, and we get before actually we get the musical number uh, that's the title track to the film. We get the Ritchie family performing a song because why not? And <laughs> it's like why not? We, let, let, let's have this other disco act perform. And but, meanwhile, they're backstage, and we have things like the Leatherman saying, Leatherman, don't get nervous. Listen, that is my favorite line in the entire movie. Because <laughs> of everybody in this film, uh, Leatherman, who I don't know his actual name, I, 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 I'm an asshole for that. Um, he cannot act. He has <laughs> no ability to act like there are some of the village people who took to acting pretty well mm-hmm. like within the parlance of what we're talking about they are they're passable actors he cannot act even <laughs> a little bit so the scene is all of the machinations and weird happenstance lead to them backstage getting ready to go on um and perform in front of 3,000 people at this party that's, that uh, uh, Bruce Jenner's parents are throwing. And there is press there. The record label's there. They've got contracts now. All of this stuff is happening. And they all get together. 
and somebody reminds them, one of them reminds the rest that the most people they've ever played in front of was like 17 people at, uh, at Valerie Perrine's backyard. Mm -hmm. And he starts getting like freaking out, but he freaks out in the most like Judy Garland possible way. (laughs) And like just throws himself against the wall balls up his fists and slams his fists in the wall and looks pretty much down the barrel of the camera and goes, Leatherman, don't get nervous. <laughs> I was just like, this is fantastic. This is great. I texted you just the line because, God, it's so good. <laughs> yes, that is that is, that is is Glenn Hughes, uh, who unfortunately has passed away as the Leatherman there. But what I love is after he says that, is that the, the soldier, Alex Brealey, walks by and goes, oh, yes, they do. Oh God! It makes me. It all just makes me so, so happy. Like, just the whole, the whole of it. Like the whole movie, just makes, just thrills me to no end. Just how camp it is. Like mm. how over the top camp. Now you did, you did bypass, um, one oh, of my, God. one of my favorite scenes. Did it on purpose because I wanted to save this for the best. I, I, I consider it the best of for the last when it comes to this film. Oh, okay. And that is, that is YMCA. No, well, no. YMCA, yes. And I do agree that that should go at the end of the film. You're leaving out when they were trying to find more people. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Bruce Jenner offers his law office as a audition space. Because why and, not? And uh, Gutenberg puts out the all call to all of New York to come bring your singing talents to this law office um and perform so there are clowns and jugglers and uh the guy who rips his entire uh tracksuit off yes singing his song about his body <laughs> which, which is which turns out to be macho man which is wonderful um yes yeah and then um but you, you first of all you get uh, Blackie Lawless. I recognized Blackie. I thought maybe it was Alice Cooper because you got a guy who's the lead singer, or I, I think he's the lead singer. I need to remember of Wasp mm-hmm. in this movie, and you give him ten seconds. Another rand, another random cameo. Yeah. Yeah. You give him ten seconds. Arguably a bigger star than the stars of your film. <laughs> <laughs> In seconds, I guarantee you at that point in, in 1980 or 1981 or two or whatever people were seeing this, if you, if you gave them the choice between uh, Valerie Perrine or or uh, or uh, Blackie Lawless, what name comes to mind more quickly? Probably Blackie Lawless. Here's 10 seconds of you standing on a desk uh, chewing a phone cord. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but. But there's a there's a really good scene uh, where um, leather old Leatherman comes rolling in um, because it's a law office and busts through the doors. And uh, Glenn Hughes is like and they're like, oh, you're here to sing. And he's like, no, I want an extension on my income taxes. (laughs) Is this a singing audition well, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he goes and whispers Danny Boy into uh, Bruce Jenner's ear and then stands on the piano and belts out Danny Boy. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Pure magic is all this is. And then they bring in, for some reason, they've got their full complement of, of musicians at that point. But they still bring in this fire juggler to set the place on fire, I guess, and set off the alarms just yeah. to make it a thing. But yes, because, because yeah. again, we, I not? wanted to make sure we touched on Danny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so the film halfway through becomes an infomercial for the YMCA and, and it basically becomes another showcase for the village people to throw in a song everyone will know into the mix, which is their biggest hit ever, YMCA. I... I know that the YMCA's back then were cruisy and were basically a sex house. Um, And if this was to 
kind of toned that image down, it didn't work. <laughs> no. uh, I, I, I want to say that for a movie, I mean, I don't know what version of it you watched, but the Blu-ray version that Shout Factory released is the completely uncensored version as it was originally released in 1980. And for a movie that's rated PG, there was a lot of dick on the screen at one point during <laughs> the YMCA moment when they're in the locker room. I'm just like, wow, they're not wearing protective cups or anything. There's the dick. And then we get to the hot tub or whatever it is, and there's Valerie Perrine and her boobs. I was yes. just like, I'm just like, oh, I see Areola. They're not hiding it. And I'm like, this is PG. This is 1980 PG. I had to remind myself that, you know, this was long before the days of PG-13 and when the ratings between PG and R was the wild, wild west. Right. Right. Um, I would say it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, I think I described it. How did I describe it to you in the text message I sent you today? Let me see if I could just read it verbatim. Um, oh, let me bring it is, it is uh, a kaleidoscoping fractal of men wrestling coupled with a dancing man starter gun is yes. the only way that I can explain it. Um, there there are men lined up to do um, a, a track and field event sprint. And instead of a starter gun, there's a, there's a man who pirouettes, kicks his leg up and then lands in what is, I, I'll call it, a, I'll call it a superhero landing pose. Yeah. It and was that's definitely what, an Iron Man pose. Yeah. And that's what triggers these guys to start running. It's great. It is, there's diving, there's Bruce Jenner working out, there are the village people working out, there is um, uh, jazzer size happening. Um, don't don't forget the boxing waltz. Oh, the balls, yes, yes, the yes. There's box dancing happening. Um, there's Bruce Jenner dunking on some bitches. Yeah. Up in this thing. Now, here's the thing that, that made me go missed opportunity here so here they are they're in the ymca and of course you know they we have <laughs> we have steve gutenberg and bruce jenner playing ping pong and then then we have jenner who is you know playing basketball and also does something with the rope swing but then we cut to track and field events on the inside no sign of jenner anywhere and i'm going <laughs> okay this is what at the time jenner was known for why not just for shiggles have him in this event and maybe just for like a ha 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 laugh have him lose or something you know i was just like the missed opportunity for a joke there i wonder if there was some kind of contractual obligation like he had advertising contracts where he couldn't run like because that was his thing or, um, or because they, he needed some Wheaties. I don't know. I don't know. Could have been one of the two. <laughs> Could have been anything. Could have been anything. So would you say you recommend Can't Stop the Music for our listeners? Yes. 100% yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is if you like camp, if you like uh, uh, what was considered at the time counterculture, you know, thinly veiled counterculture, um, if you like nods and allegorious messaging, it is it is a fun fun movie. Makes no sense. Um, I still don't know. I, again, I still the the convention that Gutenberg is writing all of this music for the village people to sing as great white man is the best. It's the best part of this thing. It is fantastic. Um, I absolutely love it. Down to the down to the like I said, they can't stop the music last um last part because keep in mind this woman was throwing a charity event um and the village people show up the the gi shows up in a shiny shiny army jeep mm -hmm. the uh cowboy shows up on a shiny ass tractor the the uh the biker and the cop show up on shiny ass cop car cop bike and by and and harley like and, it is and the so over the bursting out of a teepee 
Yes, it is so over the top. It is beautiful. Um, it is it is it is so much fun to watch. It was I, you know there are movies in, that I kind of like. I'll make it through the first half, and then I have to like drag myself kicking and screaming that we watch through the second half. Mm-hmm. I I I enjoyed the entirety of this film. It, it captured my attention and um, didn't let go of it because of because of the fact that it was so ridiculous. Where would you put it on the list if you had to? Then oh my goodness, I would. It's going to be in the top ten. Okay. Um, again, it's it it's going to be it's going to be hard to kick. Uh, you know now rats kiss uh evil speak uh the, you know we we've seen a lot of movies that um that i would put above it but you know if, if i was putting on a marathon of our movies at some theater this would be in that marathon for sure <laughs> speaking of evil speak um if if you have shutter and if you've if you've not watched the episode of the last drive-in with uh, joe bob highly recommend watching the episode where he showed Evil Speak, and as a special guest, had uh, Clint Howard on there to talk about the film. And just some great, great behind-the-scenes stories about the making of that film uh, coming from Clint Howard. Plus, there's this great tribute to Clint Howard that features a surprise appearance by Ron Howard. Um but it, 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 it just reminded me while I was watching it and, and everything, just how much fun you and I had watching oh people God. speak on the show. It was, it stands, and, and that, the thing about a movie like Evil Speak, where Kiss hit, and it hit as hard as it was going to hit, and again, that is, the, you know, that is the Mount Olympus of these movies so far for me, has been, has been Kiss. Evil mm-hmm. Speak is a movie that you watch, and it, 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 grows and festers within you <laughs> um how much how ridiculous and how awesome it is um you know down to the last scene down to my favorite scene my favorite scene in any movie that we watched is that guy in the hallway on fire <laughs> just running around in circles <laughs> still while the hell pigs are, are busting up the church is still the the best of any scene in any movie that we've watched as part of this show um so good so good <laughs> Well, our film for July is, um, I'm going to count this as an Andrew Farmer choice because this was his suggestion for oh, July. No. And oh, yes, I, it is. Yes. And I totally agree with it. And hopefully we can get a uh, special guest star in the form of uh, another fellow podcaster, uh, Hunter Dusing, on the show. Because uh, according to you, apparently he loves waxing poetic about this film. The director, uh, as well as the film. Yes. yes. We we are finally, after all this time that we've been doing... We've been doing this show now for about o- almost three years, I've realized. Um, I think this year is year three for us. That's insane. Yeah. We are finally, after all this time, taking on Yui Bowl. <laughs> it's about damn time. And so when... I, when, when we decided to finally do this, I was like, okay, which Yui Bowl movie should we do? You, the, immediately, the very first film that came out of your mouth was In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. Hell yes. Hell and yes. I've never seen this. You What? I did not know that. I've never seen this. Um, I love the fact that it currently has a 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, uh, I, I, I love the fact that it, it's all of two hours and seven minutes. <laughs> I can't and believe seen it. I love this cast. We oh. have we have Jason Stra- we have Jason Statham. We have Lily Sobieski. We have John Rhys Davies. We have Ron Perlman. We have Kristana Loken. We have Matthew Lillard. We have Ray Liotta, and we have Burt Reynolds. Oh that, my god! That's one hell of a cast. <laughs> it's it is. This movie is insane. I cannot put it into the list because I've seen it so many times. It's it doesn't count. It would be like you going like, well, where does you know um, where does Mega Piranha fall on this list? Like it doesn't. You can't. <laughs> but this movie might be the most insane movie that you that, that you've watched as part of this uh, because of the cast. Solely because 
there is a cast to this movie that agreed to do this. Yeah, this whole cast to me screams we had bills to pay. Right. My pool need Burt Reynolds needed his pool cleaned. Yes. <laughs> Ray Liotta needed a new car. You know, that's, that's basically what it screams. And Yui like, Bull has pictures in manila envelopes of all of these people. That's the only <laughs> way I can But yes, I, I I can say I have never seen In the Name of the King, so this will be my first time venturing into this territory for this film. You can see in the film the point at which the actors realize the film that they're making and the light goes out of their eyes. It is beautiful. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, my. It's beautiful. Oh. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, then. Well, again, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in on our uh, spe- our special Pride Month episode here. We also have another episode that uh, will probably come out a few days after this where we discuss George Romero's The Amusement Park, uh, which I will let you know right now will probably be the polar opposite of the discussion <laughs> that we had with this one. Um, so I don't think truer words have ever been spoken. <laughs> So we have that one coming out, and who knows? Andy might find some. In fact, you've already found like a few things that you're like, we need to discuss this film in July, also. Well, so. I have a, I have a, a companion. We'll call it a more updated, um, uh, <laughs> in the name of the king, that I'm pitching as our second movie for July. Oh lordy. Yes. Well, I, I will. That I, way. I, I, I will let you reveal what it is in the uh, amusement park episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. All right. All right, gang. Thank you very much again. And we hope to see you later. Bye. Shake.